Hi, and welcome to That's Myrony Podcast. My name's Alicia Myronic, and I am your host and creator of this fun new concept. But first, what exactly is Myrony? Well, Myrony, or my irony, are those crazy coincidences that happen in life that you just can't explain. It's also another word for sign or synchronicity. We've all experienced these throughout our lives. But what if you started paying closer attention to your myronies? What if you started connecting the dots, or as I like to say, follow the spiritual breadcrumbs that could have an impact so big that it changes your life forever, not to mention the lives of others. Now that's myrony. Hi, and welcome back to That's Myrony Podcast. I'm so excited for my next guest today, Carol Gino, because uh, I know she's going to tell some amazing stories today. But first, a little bit about Carol. So Carol Gino has been a nurse, author, and teacher for many years. She has worked in all areas of nursing, but currently through coaching one-on-one with individual clients, Her master's in transpersonal studies allows her to focus on new modalities for healing, changes in consciousness, and cross-cultural healing. Carol is also the author or co-author of over eight books, including Los Angeles Times and New York Times bestsellers. She's also created several products and online programs for nurses, writers, and those seeking higher guidance. She has been on multiple uh, television and radio shows, including the Today Show, Regis, Charlie Rose. Um, she's been in People Magazine, New York Magazine. This woman has been everywhere. But when you hear the story of um, her, well, her relationship with the uh, late godfather, author, Mario Puzo, and her spiritual journey, I think you are just going to absolutely love everything that she shares today. So let's go meet Carol. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for joining me on That's Myrony today. (laughs) Hi, Alicia. It's fun to see you too. How are you? Oh, well, you are, when I say you're a light in this world, that's an understatement. And what I wanted the listeners to, besides your absolutely incredible story on so many different levels, because before we started recording, we we're actually saying, you really are like just one big Myrie after another, after another, after another on so many different levels. And that's what we really want to, you know, get into. But why I wanted to do specifically this episode at this time was last week, um, I interviewed our mutual friend, Heidi Rome, and you actually gave her a message that was connected to uh, her nonverbal autistic son, Ethan, which we'll get into in a little bit. And I just thought it would be a fun little segue to move from that episode into this so we could hear the stories because both of your stories are so incredible. For the listeners that didn't hear last week's episode, Heidi Rome's nonverbal um, autistic son actually gave this beautiful message that is truly meant for humanity where it was saying how we truly choose what happens in our lives from a soul perspective. And I am just so excited to have you share your story today. 
Okay, Alicia. Let's see. I think the first thing I probably would love everybody to know is um, <laughs> if my destiny hadn't been in place and if I hadn't been such a dope, I would have never tricked into it, you know? And every time I got off path and I got off path by doing what I felt I was told to do or I should do rather than what I felt like I should do, you know? So every time I used my rational mind to override my gut feeling or my heart sense, I wound up taking a detour that had to spin me around and where to everyone else, their rational mind seems rational. My rational mind had to be shut down, taken away, gotten rid of uh, in order for me to live my purpose. Uh, and I can explain it, I guess, the best way by saying that from the time I was a little kid, I seemed to be able to hear, see, feel things that other people might not have. But I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know why I was different. Um, I did know that I was a very uh, fervent child. And I used to pray my whole life that I could be a saint. <laughs> and every night I'd kneel down by the side of my bed and I'd say, dear God, could I please be a saint? I mean, like those other kids who saw Lourdes and all that stuff, Fatima Lourdes. I mean, really, I'm as good as they are, I promise. I was very competitive even, even then. I was competitive in my fervent aspirations. And my sister used to kneel right next to me and say, dear God, when my sister gets her vision, could I not have one, please? <laughs> like that night after night, you know? As I get older, um, I got, I mean, my father used to read me the Harvard classics from the time I was four. And then I started loving reason and intellect. And I was a voracious reader. I still love it. And somewhere between the Harvard classics and Disney <laughs> came me. <laughs> I didn't know whether I wanted to be Aristotle or the princess in Sleeping Beauty or whatever, but I wanted to be somebody that could change the world with just a blink, you know? Well, when I didn't become a saint by the time I was about seven or eight, I was never patient. So then I said, well, maybe I'll be a nun. But if God has too many weddings or too many wives, maybe I'll be a lawyer. At any rate, I got married because we were Italian and they didn't even let you have sleepovers unless you were married. So I got married when I was about like 18. I had one little kid, girl kid, and then I figured she shouldn't be alone. So I had a little boy kid. I was married to an absolutely gorgeous man. And he was very, very sweet, but he had a drinking problem. And I was Italian, knew nothing about drinking problems. I thought people fell asleep after they ate and drank because they were full. I mean, I don't know what else I thought. But. So we moved away from the family and I was up in Pennsylvania. And one day he packed all the kids stuff like diapers. And he said he was going to the store to buy some formula. So I said, okay, it was an old house with creaking, no, no doors that locked, no telephone. Uh, I didn't have a car. We had one car he could drive. And 
suddenly he was gone and it was like 24 hours and I had no milk for the kids. And suddenly I'm sitting on the couch thinking that my parents are gonna kill me if my, anything happens to my kids. I was still more a daughter than a mother at that point. And I suddenly hear this terrible cranking and clanking and I thought the house was blowing up, but smoke started coming out of the middle of the living room and I'm looking at this grate and I'm thinking, what is this? And I followed the sound and I found out it was in the basement. I went down the basement in the middle of the basement. It was dark. I had to stand in water to turn in the electric light bulb. And I looked around and there was this big, huge wood for burning furnace in front of me. And I thought, I never even saw one. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. And there was a bunch of coal on the right and there was some wood on the left, but it was wet. And I thought, well, I better open it and see what happens. And I opened it up and I could just see little, just like embers. And I thought, oh damn, we're gonna freeze to death. There's snow outside. So I couldn't get the wood to go because it was wet. So I went upstairs and I threw my books in and I threw all kinds of chairs in. I finally got it going. And I came upstairs and I sat on the couch and I thought, I got to do something about this, man. I got to figure out how I'm going to get out of here with no phone, no car, anything. And I got to know what I'm doing. I had no plan B. I was going to be happily ever after like every Disney princess <laughs> or prince for that matter. And so I sat on the couch and suddenly I opened my eyes and I saw this woman with these funny curls and her hair was up here and she had an amber colored cape on and she was holding a lamp walking up and down my baseboard and I could see the shadow of hands in, and shadows coming toward her. And I thought, oh dear, I've gone out of my mind. This finally threw me over the edge. So I said, well, maybe I'm dreaming. So I sat up and I poked myself in the eye and they were open. And I said, oh, the scariest part of this woman was nothing about her because she looked fine. But the scarier part is that I wasn't afraid at all. And at that time, I was scared shitless of everything. <laughs> so I look at her and I'm thinking, what is going on here, man? I don't know what's happening. And then for some, un I, I don't even know how it happened. I fell asleep. And I woke up in the morning and I thought, I have to be a nurse. And I thought, why do I have to be a nurse? I called my father. I said, Daddy, come pick me up. I got to be a nurse. He said, what? You never used to make fun of the kids in school who wanted to be nurses. Why do you want to be a nurse? I said, I don't know. I have to be a nurse. And I came down. He came and picked me up with the kids. And he said, are you sure about this, babe? I said, more certain than anything I've ever been. I said, okay. So I came back down to New York with my kids. My mom took care of them. And then I decided, okay. I had to get into nursing school, but I only had a couple of months to do it. So I went to a Title V program. I, I talked the guy into it. He kept saying, do you have any experience? I said, no. But my grandmother was a nurse midwife. He said, that's not experience, my dear. I, he said, have you ever worked in a hospital? I said, no, but I will by tomorrow if you say I can be in. He said, the program's already closed. He said, we're full up. And I'm saying, don't you need somebody who who succeeds in these things? Don't you need to get money from the government? I promise you I'll get a 98 on any test and I'll get a job in the hot, hardest hospital around and work it for three months if, if you will, you know, give me a shot. 
And he said, okay, if you get a 97 or on the test and you get a job at the hospital. And I was so excited, I got up and kissed him because I was afraid that my kids with starving bellies, I could see them before me, you know, the whole bit. So I went to Good Samaritan Hospital then. I went to the priest and I said, would you pull Good Sam and get me a job there, please, as an aide or anything I have to do? He said, okay, I'll try. And they, I went there and I went in as an aide. And I remember, I remember looking around the first day I walked into the hospital and it was just, the dawn was just breaking. And I looked out at the sky and it was red, red. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And the smell of a hospital sneaking up my nose. I thought to myself, we're gonna save people. We're gonna do big things. I knew right then it was one of the happiest days of my life. And right then I even thought, Oh, God's going to turn me into salt. I was so happy. At any rate, I went to work. I got a job. I worked at the hospital. I loved it. I got into an LPN program for um, mothers of dependent children as an LPN program. Ace that. And there I was in the hospital. My dream come true. And I have to tell you, no matter, no matter how hard I prayed that my marriage would work, if that prayer were answered, the rest of my life would not have existed the way it is. So you sort of figured out right now that, you know, I thought a lot about, did I believe in destiny or free will? And then I thought, life is an experience, but your life is your interpretation of that experience. Mm -hmm. And it's in that change of perspective that you can manifest a life that's different from the life you feel that you're living. You know, I know enough that you can never outrun destiny. They give you some wiggle room in free will. But aside from that, I started out knowing nothing. I'm not sure how much more I know now, except that now I know that all I know is just a construct that my mind is able to create, to imagine God in all his aspects and know that God is more than the sum of his parts and that every one of us is unique and precious and priceless in our own way and that God sees light through our eyes and we should never try to be perfect because even within God there's imperfection I mean, check out antiques. If you're one of a kind because you're a mistake, you're a big deal. So <laughs> it's look, trust your mistakes. Your, your, your tests and your triggers are your teachers. Mm -hmm. The only thing you really need to know in this life is who you are. Because once you know and love you, then the whole world can spin. And you've got a core that's scented in spirit and soul and body, and you're solid. Mm -hmm. You're solid. You got a soul that has a mind, a heart. Your soul mind is only as rational as your purpose needs to be. Well, I want to share with the listeners because I know who that, that vision you saw. You, the vision you saw is actually quite a famous <laughs> I, Quite a famous I forgot thank god you reminded me of that alicia 
after I was in nursing school, we're looking through nursing history one day. And I said, oh my God, this is that woman I saw marching up and down and underneath it, it said Florence Nightingale, Crimean War. And I thought, oh damn, that's who she was. <laughs> my father had said to me, you come from a long line of pioneer women, deserve it. Who would have thought she was one of them? You know, uh, I mean, I didn't, I, all that time, even when I got those nudges or those feelings or those voices that not a lot of other people heard, I used to call them they. Mm-hmm. And it was after a while that I learned to discern the dif- difference between the different levels of the unseen that we interact with all the time and we don't know. But you know, this whole pandemic thing, I truly, with all my heart, with all its tragedy and everything else, believe it's a gift of time out for us to reset ourselves for an evolutionary jump that will break down the old, but it will build up a new and better tomorrow. And for that, we all need to say our piece, to play our part, and to build a new narrative for a new tomorrow where service is a value and the truth is the love and connection we feel for each other and whoever our source is or whoever we call our source. And for us to begin to start trusting that where our senses, you know, what we believe is real is what we can touch or hear or see with our senses. But the world doesn't stop existing if a person is blind or if a person is deaf. And so until we can begin to develop and trust those senses that have not yet been given words, whether they're our longings, our yearnings, our intuition, our pushes forward, until we can begin to explore all of ourselves, bring all of us to life. Once we can do that and we explore our senses and they become more, we enlarge our world. And as soon as we enlarge our world, we're living in a world with different rules that are more egalitarian, freer, more exciting, more adventuresome, kinder. And we understand that on one level, we're all connected. And on another level, we're individual and separate. And we're here because God got tired of playing with himself. He wanted (laughs) to watch how the different aspects of God play with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us what we bring to our life. It's up to us how we interpret. I mean, how often do you look at what we call primitive tribes and watch their joy and watch their happiness and see their connection to each other. They may be uh, low in material things, but they're so full in spirit and joy and everything else. We have so much to learn from each other. Yeah. You know, and my hope is, and this is where I think there's a little mistake when people say, maybe it's a little misinterpretation, or maybe it's my inability to see it or perceive it in another way. 
I do believe that our lives are already set when we come into them. Mm -hmm. uh, whether they're set by source or co-created or whatever, I believe our reaction to our circumstance is the thing that gives us the room to play, the room between the known of science and data and everything and the mystery mm -hmm. that's life or God or death or whatever. In that place, once we hold our eyes and trust in us to step in or off that cliff, we'll either fly or fall. Either way, we're going to learn something. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we begin to trust ourselves again, because the thing the pandemic has done to and for all of us, it's taught us our different values, how we miss what we used to take for granted. I mean, when I could walk all over the place before I had a stroke, I didn't pay any attention to how my legs worked. I just figured they worked. Now, I am so grateful because a lot of times I feel like I'm stuck in traffic and what I want is just too far away. It takes me too long to get there. There are days it's fine. There are days I have to practice patience. But what I've learned from a body that's had to move slower is that I can feel music. I can take the time to hear people. I can't move as quickly. So I'm not nearly as judgmental of other people who don't work at the speed of light. And it has given me, it has made me more. And sometimes I think that our challenges, our challenges sometimes offer us maybe not what we would have traded them for, but still, if we can see them and not be, if we can be wizened rather than wounded mm -hmm. by them, we can come out of any big challenge more rather than less. Well, that's why we why we really have to have duality in our existence. Because if mm -hmm. you only understand one side, you truly don't appreciate. You know, right. it, you, you you take it for granted. Yeah. And I absolutely agree that somehow our higher selves, our souls, we choose this path, but then we have free will, and that's where the difference. You know, mm -hmm. we can go one way, we can go another way. But it is, I truly agree that if we stay true to our heart and our soul, mm -hmm. we will find that more divine path that are, that we're really ultimately trying to get to. Well, it's like our soul, we come in with a blueprint. Yeah. And then what happens is we're programmed, whether by our parents or by religion or by community or by nation, to help us forget that we're all one. And actually what enlightenment winds up being is our remembering as we peel off the layers of other that self is all the same. Mm -hmm. and, and one time, I mean, see, we have to be really careful that we don't pick up somebody else's belief system and try to make it our own without experiencing it and finding out how it really works in the real world. Because otherwise we, we judge people who are, I guess the thing about manifesting that troubles me most, the belief in manifestation, is that for those who have come in with a harder life, a harder plan, poorer plan or whatever, 
We look at them and think they're not doing something right. And even worse than that, they think they're not doing something right. Mm -hmm. And that's the reflection of the outside rather than us reflecting our insides to the outside and being the light that we came in to be. So we have to be really careful, especially, I want to say especially in America, because it's competitive and there seems to be great opportunity, which there is, I'm not saying there's not, but we can get distracted by what looks like something that will fill us up. And you can never fill up a soul with material goods. It won't happen. You have to first find out what you're all about. And once you find out what you're about, what you do is you look around at other people and you look for yourself in their eyes and you try to see the commonalities rather than the differences. And once you do, you get back some of the trust that I think this whole period of time has, um, I would say, taken from us, except what it's made us do is realize that we didn't really trust whatever our belief system was, if it wasn't built, if it wasn't big enough to hold this challenge. Yeah. This challenge is also an opportunity, you know? Well, I want to, you know, I want to reflect back on what's already been said, because, you know, the idea with myrony or the crazy coincidences that happen in life that we can't explain. And I also like to say, you know, when we discover myrony, we discover our inner superpower. You know, it's like we pay attention to those external signs and then we trust whatever our gut tells us to do. Or if we receive, some of us receive, you know, guidance where some of us hear things, some of us see things in the way of vision, some of us just feel it, you know, some of us just seem to know it and we don't understand. So like you're, you're knowing that you needed to be a nurse, but let's just go back. You saw an image of Florence Nightingale, never seen this image before of this person. It wasn't until so much longer. And then, you know, the next day you realize you need to, or immediately you need to become a nurse. And then later on, you see this image again. What are the odds of that? You know, so it's like for, for people, you know, my biggest thing with the listeners is like, even if it doesn't make any sense, don't discount it as just being crazy. You know, it's just like, like trust whatever it is. It's there's there's so much more to this to our existence that we don't even recognize the level. We're only shown so much. And yeah, yeah like they tell us, this is what my angels always tell me. Angels drip information so that they don't overwhelm us, you know. Yeah. But the fact is that if we understand that each of us is a part of God, a part of source, call him Yahweh, Allah, call him God, call him great enlightened one, whatever. But how this, to me, like you talk about synchronicity, if I hadn't, and it wasn't, I had, I didn't have a choice then. I had to go be a nurse. It was the only push that was happening from inside me that ever made sense. Mm -hmm. And I never wanted anything as clearly. You know, and I did nursing for 16, 17 years where it was the greatest passion I had. And I have to tell you that 
there is more joy, passion, and intimacy in taking care of those others when you can be adjunctive to them and help others do what they can't do for themselves. That gets you as close to one as you can get. In fact, one day I took care of this, this patient and I'll get to the synchronicity of that. One day I took care of this patient who had a terrible disease and she, her skin used to peel off her all the time. And she was dying more of loneliness, she said, than anything else. She had something called mycosis fungoides. And she had not seen a child. She had not had lunch with anybody for years. She was just, and she said to me one day, would you eat lunch with me? And I said, oh, Zelda. And I used to call her Zelda just because it was, uh, I was doing private duty and it was just a pet name. I said, Zelda, <laughs> if you don't shake your sheets and get skin all over my lunch, I will eat with you. And she was so excited after the first time that we ate together. She said, come over and sit on my bed. And I did. And she leaned over and she hugged me. And her cheek was right on my cheek. When she pulled away, her skin was on my face. And I went into the bathroom that day. And as I was washing my face, I realized that there was me and another that was so close at one point that we wore the same skin. And when that woman died, and I truly cared for her more than I could tell you, when she died and her heart stopped, I actually took the stethoscope and put it to my own chest. I would like to tell you that was only one experience because it was only one because I had so many people that what I would want to say now is that because I believe destiny already writes these things that I spent so much time with dying people and love them so much that for all those people who aren't able to be with the people now, who are their family, I would tell you that life already sets up a situation where they won't be alone because your spirit connects first with yourself before your body ever dies. And with any luck for any nurse and any patient, they would love each other like my patients and I did. If I had not followed my, and I, I'm not saying that I was never pissy and I didn't burn out. And I, I mean, I wrote the next book I had to write. I wrote a book only because I had to stand for these people because they didn't feel like they had any information. If my marriage had succeeded, if I hadn't been stuck in that house with starving kids, if I hadn't followed my hunch to be a nurse, then when I had to write, I would have never been called to Mario Puzo's house to take care of his wife. If I hadn't done that, Mario and I wouldn't have spent 21 years together helping each other live and learn about life, love, and power. I taught him about life and death. He taught me about uh, power, love, and writing. And we were so much more because we met each other. And because we knew each other and because we respected and honored each other. And I had never even imagined a life as big as mine. And my only adventures come when I had more than anybody else could think they wished to have. 
and I find out, and I find out that um, there's more at the end of at the end of what is the known or what I could imagine. My life gets even bigger. And so whatever the, my next step is, I wait until creativity sort of creates me and puts, drops the next step in front of me. So I live my life moment to moment with no goals because I would never have a goal that would have been as big as my life has been able to be. You know? So you're just open to whatever life, however you're meant to express life is. I, I, love, I love when you say that because it's so true, but there's so much more too. You know, like when we see an Olympian winner, mm -hmm. we don't for a minute think that they got there without practice. So I would love to say to you, it just happened, but I would say to you that there's not a minute of any day that I try not to be aware of the context in which I'm living. There's not a morning that I don't start my day with an intention of looking for the good or being able to overcome some of the things that I know are my shortcomings, maybe the things that, you know, like I'm a little bit impatient. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time that I had in 86 when my grandson died of SIDS was the first time that I had my first stroke and they took away my whole left brain. And at that time, I had no rational mind. But I promise you that the universe has your back because there was an inner guide that walked me through that whole existence and the near death experience I had. I can't even call it God because all I can tell you is the voice of comfort spoke to me and I knew everything was perfect. It didn't look like it was perfect, but it was almost like, you know, Carolyn Miss says this and Panesh Desai says it and everything. We could all live in the same apartment building, but those of us who are living on the second floor have a different view than those who are living on the penthouse. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, what, and I'm grateful for this, what I've been able to do is been able to have a crane shot of my life, which is like in the movies when they give you the big picture. And so every time I get sad or miserable or I think it feels hopeless, I don't know, I say, uh, please help me business. And I've got a crane shot and I suddenly can see how far we've come, how far we have to go, how each of us is capable of so much more if we just trust that we're not gonna walk off the cliff and into the nothing. If we walk in the off cliff and we're in the unknown, the unknown isn't a terrible place to be. It has adventures and it has a tomorrow that you just have to be brave enough to step into. You have to have courage and commitment, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's so interesting because, you know, it's like when you can just be open and just kind of be like, okay, I'm just going to 
keep walking. I, I like to say, step aside, let God guide. You know, when we, when our, when our brains get in the way of what it is that our heart and soul is telling us. And it's understanding that, you know, your life may have gone down this one direction because this one piece of the puzzle is supposed to be con con collected so that it puts the bigger puzzle together. And it's funny, I'm being guided to actually share a message. Would you know, Carol, how these messages work with, because it's, it's about this puzzle pieces. And so for the listeners, and I keep sharing this, you know, I had an experience that I say with the divine of God and I can't explain it. It's kind of like what Carol's saying. We can't explain these things, but we can't necessarily deny them either. And maybe it's our voices that we're meant to share these bigger messages in this united front. Because what? I mean, believe me, I have called myself crazy many times. <laughs> I'm the first one to accept it, if that's the case. But I also know that what I experienced, I could not have created in my own mind. It was too big for me to just be like, yeah, you, you, that's where I'm kind of on the same thing with you, Carol, manifestation. I was like, I did not manifest that. <laughs> I feel like I'm just meant to be this messenger to bring this greater awareness, which I believe you are too. You know, bringing this, there's something so much more than we can even wrap our head around. But when we're open, it's sort of like in a divine plan, let's just say it's there just for, and we're the rooters. And we're also, let's say our soul is the rooter and our body, mind, and the, our physical self is the avatar of what our plan is. We gotta be close enough to the rooter to be able to get the signal, but we also have to know and practice what position is good to be in and what, but we, we have to do is know ourselves well enough that if the outside world starts to crumble, it doesn't mean we started to crumble. Mm -hmm. You know, we aren't our roles. We aren't our jobs. We aren't our, even our relationships. And what we have to be really careful, I think at this time, especially when you see so much separation, when we need so much connection to make everything better, is that like while you call God, God, and I might say source or Yahweh or Allah or whatever, we can't even let our strong affiliations separate us. Mm -hmm. We have to know that beyond all the beliefs, there's the truth of love. And I remember one time I was meditating. It was really funny because I have friends, I told you, in and out of body say what you wish, they still got me to be an old lady without giving me too much trouble. And I remember I was meditating and suddenly I went from the I, that I am the soul body connection to the I am, which is the soul spirit connection. And I was up there and I thought, oh my God, I'm in love. And then I thought, I'm in God. And then I thought, oh, how cliche. And my two gold friends behind me who always talk behind my back said she just found out that love isn't a verb, which mm -hmm. means she can't give it. You can't take it. You got to be it. So my whole, the thing I love most about all of us is if we can get woo-woo to be practical, we can do practical woo-woo where what we learn from our guides, spirit, angels, gods, 
if we really can turn it into something that helps bridge the difficulties we have in the world, that we keep ourselves in love for sure, but then we take an action as well. Mm -hmm. To well. see, yeah, love, to act that. You know, not that we just preach it, but that if we see somebody struggling, not only do we offer to give them money or help them if we can, but that we say, hi, and thank you for doing your piece of this puzzle because I'd rather have it be you than me. I know that's not nice, but it's true. And thank you, you know, but honor the, honor the pain as well, yeah. but don't yeah. be victimized by it. Don't mm -hmm. be wounded by it, be wisened by it. Because then you have, you know, Mario once said to me, well, because we were, we were in con, red carpet, Academy Awards, the whole bit. And I was saying, oh my God, I hate all this stuff. And he said, why? And I said, do you know how many hungry people there are? Do you know how many people right now are suffering while we're having such a good time? And he just looked at me and he said, honey, you're going to be a pain in the ass or are you going to realize that whether or not you have a good time right now, you feeling guilty and not having a good time isn't going to help anybody else have a good time. Mm -hmm. do something with your joy right make it better for those who are having a difficult time and sometimes you just make it better by acknowledging that someone else is having a hard time and you see it and you value them and you understand they're worth it not by money not by stuff but by self you know well, you just set up the message that I'm being guided to share. Um, so again, to the listeners, you know, this experience that I had, if you go to an episode that I did on my friend's podcast, Sense of Soul, I share where these messages came from, but I didn't write these messages. There was someone else, but I get guided to share in conversations um, certain messages. And this is the message. It was, it came out on in September of 2000. Uh, 16. It says, life is about choices confronting us and demanding decisive action. What has already been learned and experienced does not necessarily endow the spirit with the necessary knowledge to overcome or circumvent the confronting obstacles. Sometimes bad choices are made, and sometimes these choices are made for good reasons. Assembling a puzzle without all the right pieces is confusing and frustrating to the point of giving up, but our spirits are resilient and prevalent, compelling continued effort, unraveling the secrets and mysteries surrounding our destiny. Yeah, and if you had to make that, if you had to tell somebody who knew nothing about this, what that meant to you in a paragraph, what would you say that that message means to you? How does it talk to your heart? that we understand it's from a different time and everything, but what does that say to you? How would you tweet it? <laughs> no. How would you make it short enough to be? Yeah, so, you know, and that's the interesting thing about these messages is they're meant to make you think. They're meant to make you become introspective, you know, but to me, it's basically saying that when you stay true to your heart and your soul, and even though certain circumstances may happen and you may see like, oh, that was the biggest mistake ever. 
But if you stay true to who you are, that quote unquote mistake may actually be the necessary piece to this much more divine puzzle mm-hmm. when we start putting together. And I also think the pieces are the people that we get to meet and connect with. And as we start putting all our puzzle pieces together, now we're seeing much more of that divine oneness. Yeah. You know, that's- I love that because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take all the information that they give me and try, that's the practical woo-woo. In fact, I think my next thing, you know, I was really lucky because after my grandson died, the big angel came and really for 30 years, gave me messages like you give messages explaining all of this in very so I'm putting together small books now like success on the right path getting out of your own way um all spirit talk that I'm paraphrasing so that it's sort of easier in some ways uh to understand and uh spirit and daily life power you know that kind of stuff but also just individual pieces so that we can see the big thing now I'd like to do is I'd love women. I'd love to help women find their voices so they could tell their stories before we move on to the next iteration of human beings, which are AI and stuff. And there'll be no, not enough women's voices on the sides of the caves that we outgrow. I'd like history to look back now at And the difficult part, like you say in this, the difficult part is feelings and heart sense and knowing it's hard to put into words. And if we can't put it into words, we make it not real. So what I'd love to have is I'd love to help women find their voices. However, it's so they can tell their stories because then we can put those stories out. And when people look back, they'll see us represented. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's my latest. I must do. You know. Oh well, that's beautiful. And I got I got one more method that I'm being guided to share to kind of come into this culmination. But it says, unfortunate occurrences and quote unquote bad luck scenarios are often required to facilitate higher learning and accelerate a progressive life cycle that is not evolving. Positive life changing events can first manifest as personal disasters but are actually the necessary precursor to understanding and obtaining the awakening miracle. Yeah, I have to say, hey, when my first marriage fell apart, trust me, I thought it was the Disney, oh no, there goes my happily ever after. I didn't, and yet if that prayer had not not been answered, then I never would have had all the magnificent things that followed, whether it be nursing, or Mario and me, or being a bestseller, you know, millions of books and having the life I had. You know, Mario used to say all the time, more tears are spread, shed over answered prayers than unanswered prayers. And sometimes I think <laughs> it's only in the looking back that we can see whether something's been a gift or a tragedy, if you will. You know. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, truthfully, every experience we can learn something from, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be the easiest or, or we're going to be like, I, well, I mean, it's hard, you know, and going through difficult things, it's hard to be grateful for it. But if you can get through it, if you can get through that 
what sometimes seems to be the darkest tunnel, knowing that there's light at the end. And you just got to keep moving forward with it. But when, but I believe we all have this gift to be able to tap into this higher, this higher consciousness, whatever, you know, we like what, what I was shared in the sense of God. And I say God is love with an awesome sense of humor. That's how I represent Winky in the logo. You know, I'm not saying it in a religious sense that people want to connect to it in that. But what I was kind of shown was that God just wants to be, wants to create a relationship with everyone. It's your own personal relationship to what you want to connect to. But also, you know, maybe not deny what's actually out there. I mean, the, 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 the holy text that's out there, it's beautiful. But maybe if we start looking, it's almost like reading the messages within the messages. There's so much more hidden that if we are, if we are curious, we want to keep seeking. I do believe that it does become revealed to us. Yeah. But we, yeah, we just, but we have to, I mean, I'm the first one to say, even though these things have happened, I still don't know anything. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's actually, it's really beautiful when you can kind of get validation. And I, I want to go into the story that connected why I wanted to do this episode specifically in this timeline was because Heidi Rome, her nonverbal autistic son, uh, Ethan, at 11 years old, gave the most incredible story about, or not story, but told her how, you know, she asked what he thought of God and said, God is in my heart and I'm always protected. And he basically says that he chose this path of having all these challenges. And, and so Heidi asks and says, you know, well, what do I need to do? And he says, all you need to do, all you have to do is love me. I will take care of the rest. And, and then another point he came through, his energy actually came through and, and, and basically she was told he was, a, you know, a master, master soul here, you know, like, and again, it's just like, Actually, the, the message that time was that he was not going to take on her guilt, <laughs> to let it go. And then you received a message from his energy. And again, listeners, Ethan is here living on this earth. However, you were able, he, he somehow connected to, um, you connected to his energy. Can you explain how that happened? I didn't know. I had only heard about Heidi. I didn't know her really well or anything. And I had never spoken to Ethan or anything. And one day she was just, I was talking about uh, maybe spirit was telling me something else. I can't remember what it was. And I said to her something like, is there anything you'd like to know? But I was just talking about anything I could help her with or anything. And then she said, yes, I, I'd like to know if you know what Ethan wants of me or something. And I don't, you see, the thing is when I tell somebody something, if it's, my, if it's spirit talking, they have like confidentiality clause or something. I don't often hear it, but it was very clear because I clearly heard the impression was this, that he knew how much she loved him. Now, he wanted to know whether she loved him enough 
or could love herself enough to live her to live her life fully and do all the things with herself that she would have done with him because he would not accept the guilt or the burden of her not living a full life because of him. I just realized you were the one that gave that message about let about he would not yes, take on the burden. Yes, it was he was very clear. And somehow it was just clear to me that it was Ethan and uh, it wasn't any of my regular friends without bodies because essentially it's like when you talk on the telephone to people, your good friends don't have to say, hi, this is Carol or hi, this is Alicia. They get on and say hi. And you recognize who they are. I just knew this was Ethan. And if we're all energetically connected, apparently our energetic frequencies or fields were together and it just came on the waves. And I was, I didn't really ask, it was just there. And so I offered it to Heidi and Heidi was gracious enough to tell me that it was so easy, you know, I could not have even known that, you know. So it was just because I would not have, if I interfered, my compassion would have been for Heidi. I would never have thought that his voice would have been such a strong directive of I will not accept the burden of you mm -hmm. not you know, I think that would have screwed up my rational mind like mad. So it was good that it was good that it comes in on a different wave and stuff, you know. And if we all just look at the Olympics, man, that's all I keep saying. You would never for a minute. Well, that's what they do with their bodies. Are we going in as often as we go out? We're looking at outer space. We're watching the stars. We're looking. But how often do we go in and find out? what's inside you know it's there it's there for every one of us and what I try to do is like I get those messages and then I try to see okay that's practical rule what does this mean how does this work in the real world how can I make it better in the real world and how would the world be just a little better because I was here mm -hmm. that's all not you know, I found something the other day. I don't know how it occurred to me because I never do. But when I get one of those epiphanies, I think to myself, somehow I kept listening and trying really to hear what people needed that I could offer them. And at one point, one of my angels has said, I said, I want to help. And she said, but Carol, with what? And I said, I don't know with what other people need. And she said, why do they not all have angels and guides like you? And I said, no, I'm sure they do. And so I said, but I want to help them heal. She says, but Carol, do we know what healing is? Mm -hmm. And I thought, hmm, that's another thing, you know, but the whole idea of being able to, and I have a funny spirit who writes really funny things for me. And the last thing she wrote, I did eight pages yesterday, just because, and you know what the title of it was? I have to finish it up today. And it's just, uh, but the, the, the thing about it was the pain in the ask. <laughs> and that's whenever we ask why. Because oh. sometimes whatever story we imagine is not, 
see what is. And I finally understood that sometimes when people, it's just the way it is, what they mean is, what it is, is what the essential experience you're having is. You can make up a story around it as we all do, but then you have to be sure that you're not seduced by the story because Mm -hmm. that's the pain in the ass. The pain in the ass is when you feel wounded or victimized by whatever a situation is, you know? Well, and that's what I find so powerful, you know, for, for the listeners to hear this, to hear all of this, but it's also like when you have somebody who really struggling with, um, with physical challenges and things like that, and then being given such an incredible message, I chose it. And so if we can all look at, we chose it for whatever reason, but it is true. It's not necessarily us to be able to um, try to fix anyone. There is no fixing. It's just bringing this greater awareness. And sometimes if we inter, if we interject ourselves in certain ways, we might actually be um, preventing something that's going to happen in the sense of, or um, I don't want to say preventing, but right. I would say we'd slow it down a little. Yeah, bit. it's just that they're not they're the, the lessons that was meant to be learned. It's not being shown the same way, and so it's kind of like we want to be. We we definitely want to be compassionate and and bring you know whatever. I guess the whole thing is the how can we get closer to this source to God to this all-encompassing love. Because I know you felt that all-encompassing love. I felt it when I had this experience six years ago. I can't explain it. I literally thought I was just going to be taken. And, you know, like that was it. And I was like, oh, cool. I don't have to die, but I get to experience what this is. And then then I get the message, well, now you got to go back and you got to go through some more pain, but just know that this is what's on the other side. I'm like, great, thank you. <laughs> But when you experience that level, it doesn't leave you. You know, it's like what you're saying when you have these epiphanies, they just don't leave you. But I love the fact that we're all kind of coming together, sharing our stories, because again, yeah, we could be called crazy, but how could we all be crazy? Well, it doesn't matter. They sort of called uh, Columbus, Galileo, all those people crazy. I mean, crazy is, you know what it is? Our labels are too, uh, our labels for crazy are too big mm-hmm. and our labels for visionary and they aren't big enough. Yeah. And with what we know, look, metaphysics has known for many years what it took science and quantum physics a long time to learn. And so we can't put ourselves on hold while science catches up with us. It's sort of like, the mind, you know, when they took my left brain away, I couldn't be rational anymore. <laughs> and, but the patterns I was able to see in life was so different and they changed my whole perspective on life. And we have to begin to be Olympian in our, uh, in our wanting to discover the length and breadth of our ability to contact the real us, 
so that we can bring all of us to life because there will never be a transformation unless we can jump from change to a real breakdown breakthrough into a whole new narrative i remember how shocked i was the first time i meditated and i heard a voice out of nowhere it wasn't like i knew anything about it you know and i it they said um you know the creation story could never be a two and i said adam and eve adam and eve could never be a two they said no because then adam would only see eve and eve would only see adam so who was the observer and i thought well couldn't be the snake because you couldn't really trust him so <laughs> we wouldn't carry that but then I start to think of it and in my head, because they show me stuff, spirit all works in different ways for different people. Like you say, I mean, I get one of my spirits, like the Florence Nightingale one, she comes to me in colors, but energetic colors. But I just know when she's around because she said you can trick the mind, but you can't trick the heart. And they show me pictures. And then I have my funny spirit who does things like the pain in the ass, you know, but the the thing is that unless we explore who we are with the fervent commitment of an olympian we're only giving an aspirin to fix what the real problems are this time i think we should all be very grateful they broke our heart but they also broke us open yeah. and in breaking us open they got past the limits of the rational, because everybody's trying to blame everybody else for not knowing when the not knowing is part of the mystery. Mm -hmm. And for me, life has been very, very difficult for me, but it's been very good to me. So I choose to trust that whoever made up the game is watching my back. And I'm just going to take the next step as soon as it pops up i'm gonna take it and in the meantime i'll play with all my friends in and out of body because the friends i have in body i value so much now and my out of body friends always keep me from feeling alone because mm. none of us are ever alone i love that i yeah. love that so much so we have to love each other love ourselves and love what made us mm. now I can i can i ask can I ask, because I know, I mean, I was brought up Catholic and, um, and again, nothing wrong with Catholicism, I'm not saying that, but my, my biggest thing was, one of my biggest things was, you know, accepting the fact that we live and die one time. That to me never made any sense. What was, you know, that our soul growth or whatever. One of the, at one point, I think for me, my experience, I never tell anything that hasn't been a personal experience of mine, mm -hmm. so that I'm just not carrying on other people's false beliefs if they are. How it happened to me is I was asked after Gregory died, after my grandson died, if I was willing, I guess in, in Catholicism, it might have been like purgatory, but I was asked if my daughter and I were willing to take on the souls of a yesterday that had unfinished business. And if we could work it out in the way we would today, karmically, so that it would all, so whether it was an aspect of myself 
or an aspect of somebody else that I was taking out of what I call the fragment room. And all I can tell you is I never felt any more like me than I felt when I was that Indian running deer. And all his shamanic knowledge I knew at that time. So whether they mixed us up like a malted or whether he was an aspect of my past life. And we, can, we are all so much more because we've all had thousands and thousands of lifetimes. And in a lifetime that's really hard, wouldn't it be wonderful to draw on one of those easier lifetimes for balance or for experience that we don't have now, you know? And the, though the big angel said to me, you know, you have to use discrimination with out-of-body entities because being out-of-body doesn't necessarily make you smarter. And I said, that's true, that's true. But you know, because spirits of light never force anything on you. They only offer and they wait for you to ask before they'll give you answers. So those are, those are pretty good things. But our world is so much, you, you know, look at dogs, what they can hear. Look at this, the span of color that other animals have that we don't. We have so much undeveloped stuff, even if it's not 80% of our brain that's uncharted territory. The new Googling maps of the brain are showing that where they thought there was a one-to-one -one or a two-to-one synaptic transfer, now there's a 20-to-one. There's 66% dark matter that they don't know what's in it. That's up to us to help develop. Yeah. And that gives everyone a project that can last at least a lifetime. And just pass it on like rewrite. Well, you, I mean, you, you said how, you know, your life has been difficult, but then you, you know, you, you connected with Mario and, you know, during that 21 years, I mean, that's a, that's quite a long. Yeah. And the thing about it was, this is the real last synchronicity I'll tell you about because it's really funny. While Mario uh, was sick because his legs used to bother him because of uh, diabetes and stuff, we used to sit in his study a lot and listen to Andrea Bocelli. And we both really liked him. And one day I said to him, hey, Mayor, one day when you get to feeling better, would you take me to a concert? And he said to me, I thought you hated concerts. I said, yeah, I don't like crowds. But for him, I would go to a concert. And he said to me, OK, as soon as I'm out of pain and I can hear better, I promise you, I'll take you to a concert of Andrea Bocelli's. I said, really? He said, I promise. So I said, okay. So years passed a whole bit. I finished his book, The Family, after he died. And I was booked on the Today Show um, for an interview, you know, for the family and stuff. They came, got me at seven o'clock and I'm sitting in the green room and I was booked on the same day as Destiny's Child. And I thought, oh, that's pretty funny because that <laughs> would have worked, right? And I was in the green room and stuff like that. And I could hear somebody else coming in and stuff. And the producer came running in and said, oh, and I even have a video of this. The producer came in and said, I'm so sorry. I said, what? They said, Destiny Ch Destiny's Child, uh, canceled and but so we have another act and stuff and i said who destiny's child canceled who do you have and they said andrea bocelli 
And the producer said, hey, do you want to come to the window in the kitchen? Because he's he's performing right outside and you'll be level. You'll be right eye level with him. It's like having a front row seat at one of his concerts. Oh, my goodness. I love now that's that's not just synchronicity. That's the, the that's this concept of irony is I mean, that's what right. are the odds? Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's humor behind yeah. it. And I'm telling you that I, all those stories I put in the book, Mario and me, which if I had sense, I would have brought it to show you. But that's, I have all those stories in me and Mario, you know, uh, to show that even though he wasn't a big believer in anything else. In fact, when I said to him, promise me, you'll tell me if there's life after death. And he said, no. I said, what do you mean? No. He said, no, it'll ruin the surprise. <laughs> I saw Andrea Bocelli. What are the chances that at the, I mean, yeah. it was. The day that I was in there talking about the book, The Family, which I finished for him, and he gave me, or life gave me, Andrea Bocelli, right up close. That is beautiful. That is so beautiful. I know you have so many more stories. At some point, I'm going to have to have you back as another guest, or a guest another time, because, I mean, we haven't even tapped into how much, you know, like has happened in your life. but. I love ending on that note because if that's a, truly, if that's not divine irony, I don't know what is really, you know, like that's just, oh, that gives me goosebumps thinking of just how beautiful is that, you know? And so it's just like the listeners, it's like, you know, just pay attention to these things. Pay attention. Oh, I know. That's what I wanted to tell you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I wanted no. to tell you that I found out over all this time that I've been talking to all these people, trying to hear what they needed. Do you know, it screwed around my head so bad because I always thought that people needed to be told they were loved. And what I'm feeling now and hearing now is that people have such a big need to have someone to say, I love you too. Mm that they are love, they feel love, and they need to give love. And sometimes what happens is we feel too self-conscious to say, I love you, or we're afraid it'll be misinterpreted, or we just don't know what to do with all those big feelings, you know? You can have the same life two days in a row, and one day you get up and you say, oh, I love my life. And the next day, out of no reason at all, you say, I'm not doing this another minute. I'm not. It's too hard. <laughs> and stuff like that. On the days that you're full, on the days that you feel love, say it. Say mm -hmm. it to anybody you can say it to. We need to start getting used to hearing it more without making it guilty of some subver subversive, lusting feeling or something. We need to be able to say, I love you, because people need to say that to each other and people need to hear it, but people need to say it. No. So, I love you. I know, I, I was just about to say, I, I love you, Carol. And I mean, this has just been so incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story. And like I said, definitely we'll have you back because, you know, the, we didn't even get to go into your near-death experiences as much as we... <laughs> everybody, 
Everybody has a life and every life is so important. It may not feel important, but every one of us is on a hero's journey, whether we know it or not. And my hope is that I can help people just find that voice to tell the story of their life because there's no small life. If no. God gave you breath, you're worth it. Oh, well, thank you so much, Carol. And this has just been such a pleasure and honor. And um, I can't wait to have you back in the future because I know there's so much more to share, but I hope, I know that the listeners, I mean, when you hear all the beautiful stories shared, Again, what are the odds? And that's the whole point. We can't, you couldn't put this together if you tried. You couldn't create that if no. you tried. No, and I'm so, sure there's more to come. I know. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there is too, but it's just like, but it's also appreciating when those little surprise, these little, uh, these uh, gifts of myrony show up and they're like, you know, and, and that's, one of the that's one of the places where I'm always of such gratitude like thank you thank you for another sign you know keep going keep going because the, the picture is so much more beautiful than we could even imagine so very true yeah so well again I love you Carol thank you so thank you. so much and uh to the listeners I'll see you next time wasn't that a fun conversation with Carol today uh, I realized after I had hung up with her that I forgot to say what's the best way for people to connect with her. So we kind of talk a little bit about Soul Star Academy, but just want to put out there that Carol is the founder where in Soul Star Academy is where soul development meets the art of storytelling. She also has courses in the carpentry of writing as taught to her by Mario Puzo. So if you want to connect with Carol, you can uh, go to her website, which is carolgino.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-G-I-N-O.com. You can also connect with her on social media at carolginoauthor. And you can connect with Soul Star Academy. There's a Facebook group and also is on TikTok. So um, uh, Carol, sorry that I... Forgot to ask you this, but uh, to the listeners, please make sure to connect with Carol. She's absolutely amazing. I'd love to have a conversation with you. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next time. Thank you all for joining me on That's Myrony Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the Myronic stories shared today and possibly got you to connect to the Myronies in your own life. As you listen to this podcast, you'll start catching signs that are so subtle, but can have the biggest impact on your life. So pay attention to that inner voice and watch the Myronies appear in your life, just like the guest in my next episode. And please connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and that's myrony.com where you can share your unbelievable Myronies. Also, if you enjoyed what you heard and can take a moment to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform, it would mean so much because that is how others are able to find this podcast. Finally, please also tell your friends and family about Myrony because wouldn't it be fun to see people share their Myronies on social media in addition to their selfies? And remember, if something happens that makes you say, well, that's ironic, it's not ironic at all. It's Myronic. Now that's Myrony. See you next time.